0: Welcome back, listening audience. Thanks for downloading Noggin Notes again. I'm your host, Jake Wiskirchen. And we sure appreciate you listening to what we have to say. If you're struggling or you know somebody who is, invite them to take a free and anonymous mental health screening. You can do so at WTTA.org. That's WTTA.org. That website is Walk the Talk America. That's the WTTA. And it's an organization I'm part of that is happily promoting... Continuity between the firearms community and the mental health community so that we can get gun owners' help that they need without fear of reprisal or rights restriction. But one of the ways that we do that is a very non threatening, free, and anonymous mental health screening. A lot of people like free, and pretty much everybody likes anonymous. So uh, go check out WTTA.org and get your free and anonymous mental health screening. You can also do that at ZephyrWellness.org, which is my company, but you got to click through a few more things than just going to that one link. Today's podcast it involves an interview with a guy named T.C. Pearson who lives in Minnesota and he grew up in a really rough home uh, where he was essentially narcissistically abused uh, for a lot of years. And he tells that story. And it's really hard as men, I think, to come forward and talk about our wounds from our past, particularly when they have to do with family members, particularly when they're uh, of the cluster B variety. And if you're not familiar with what cluster B personality disorders are, I invite you to listen to the interview that I had with Josh Slocum uh, from the Disaffected podcast. And it's entitled, Are We Living in a Cluster B World? So uh, with that being said, here is TC's interview and his testimony about how he has uh, overcome some of this stuff and still continues to do so, even as a man in his 50s with grown children. Uh, some of these wounds last for a long time, and if, you're, if you count yourself among the people who have experienced this, just know that you're not alone, and help is possible, and you can overcome this stuff. Enjoy. Enjoy. listening audience thank you for joining us once again we appreciate you and today i am joined by tc pearson of minnesota black robe regiment as he takes a sip of coffee i was going to call on you to speak at that point but you're drinking so i won't
1: i do no, just go ahead
0: <laughs> i could carry the whole show man uh tc's a podcaster as well so we can joke about these things nice <laughs>
1: I I are professional.
0: I are professional. Uh I like your setup there. You got like a really cool pop shield that looks a lot like mine that I took off. And you have a bag of coffee.
1: I have several bags of coffee.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. I can't see the depth there. Several.
1: And yeah. Oh, you can't see those over here?
0: I can see one. A- I couldn't it looked like a shadow behind it.
1: No, I've got several. I need to order more so I can get it shipped out. But...
0: The listening audience is really entertained by this. <laughs> if you're not, I'm sure they are. If you're not watching the video, you you don't have any idea what we're talking about. <laughs> but close uh...
1: <laughs> close captioning for for people who actually have jobs and listen while they work. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, that's right. Uh, closed videoing. So anyway. I'm... Tell us, tell us about yourself. You got you got a, a podcast. That's how we met. Actually, you you invited me on to talk about guns and mental health stuff. We met on Twitter, didn't we? Is that how we met? Well, we met on
1: we met on Twitter because uh, you were on with our our mutual friend and fellow um, podcast entrepreneur uh, Josh Slocum. From Is that really
0: that's so? That's how you heard about yeah. me, huh? On Josh. Yeah, wow, so, that's cool. Okay, I forgot about that. I yeah, I remember it now, but. A lot's transpired in the last several months. <laughs> so Yeah. Well, be it's nice
1: been, fuzzy. it's been what, four months, oh, five easily. months since I had you on?
0: Yeah, easily. Um, well, Not I was easily. thinking since I was on his podcast, it's been almost a year. I've been on a couple of times. But anyway, the podcast. No, it was is, the most, it was the most recent one it was yeah, just this year. Yeah. I want to say that was probably June or May, but it, uh, the so, podcast is called <laughs> Disaffected and Josh Slocum, Joshua Slocum is the host and he's exceptional. Um, you can listen to him on this podcast. If you're new to this, uh, just rewind a few episodes, Josh was on here and, um, he did a really good job of explaining what he does and I'm not going to spoil it here, but, um, it, it, it's, he's, he's exceptional. And so you heard me on there. You heard about the guns, mental health thing. You had me on your podcast. Tell us about yours. Give a little plug.
1: Um, my pot, my podcast is dedicated to, um, standing up to to like tyranny and uh, despotism depending on how you define those two things uh as many of us know for the is this going on youtube i gotta be careful what i say i don't want to get you kicked off
0: i i don't think we have a large enough following
1: but um but it's about
0: freedom
1: right it's about freedom yes there we go (laughs) um so i as most of us know a lot of us have lived through the burgeoning tyranny over the last couple of years, but uh, I have been warning people for, for years that we were, we were building up to it. And I decided in April of uh, April 25th, actually of uh, 2020, after Minnesota had gone into uh, mandatory stay at home orders and started to define people as essential or not essential. Talk about a blow to your psyche. If you Uh, think you're important, by the way,
0: we could talk Um, a lot about that whole thing. We never have. I haven't. Um, that would be a good topic. Anyway. Yeah,
1: we, we could probably do that for another show. Today's yeah. about me. That's right. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's what happens when you get two podcasters on a show together.
0: We just oh. all make it about ourselves. <laughs> Speaking of Cluster B.
1: <laughs> so I I had just decided I was going to start going to protests. And at the time, I was working for a local, uh, for the third largest uh metro area, the Sheriff's Office of well, Olmsted County, which is centered around Rochester, Mayo, Mayo Clinic, IBM stuff in there. And it is the third largest metro area in the state, right behind Minneapolis and then St. Paul. And I, on, my, on my downtime, I decided I was going to do the podcast. And on April twenty Saturday, April 25th, about uh, five o'clock in the morning, I did an intro video, launched the channel and took off for the state capitol. And... man on the street interviews with people business owners and private and and other private individuals who are out there protesting in front of the governor's mansion about being told that they had to give up their businesses and uh, it just kind of snowballed really from there in in a lot of you know a lot of ways and i continued to put out content started to interview people from around the country but especially local business owners in minnesota who were losing their businesses and became friends with one of them, and I stood kind of toe to toe with her, or uh, neck and neck and neck with her, side by side Should, with her and her shoulder, family, hip to hip, shoulder shoulder.
0: I yeah. think toe to toe means you are fighting.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, there was fighting, but not with her. Right. And uh, I, I kind of took up her cause along with others, and that ended up getting, getting me in uh, hot water with my uh, former employer. The sheriff's officer in Olmsted County and they came after me for my content and decided I was literally a criminal they put me under internal investigation for 60 days for my content
0: that sounds like and, a First Amendment violation when the government I don't care if it's your employer but it's the government that's trying to suppress oh, your speech is that is that yeah. where that went I don't know the story I don't know the outcome yeah, that it, you lost yeah, your job, I, well it's it's funny as I
1: I talked to other people and I you know, and I mention it sometimes, but I don't always go into a lot of details. So uh, yeah, there's a there is a lot of, you know, precedent and case law. And those two things are kind of, you know, wishy washy in the respect of there's no such thing as a actual precedent that sets sets a law or sets a standard or a case law per se. Mm-hmm. Right. But there are so many historical examples, especially over the last 50 years or so, where public sector employees are granted protections in their off time to do what they would what they see fit obviously is it's not as long as it's not actual criminal actual criminal behavior Yeah,
0: you're not you're not subverting or you're not uh, uh you're not committing treason or speaking against the, the government you're like opining right you can opine about lots of things well
1: i was speaking against the government in in the sense of protesting and saying what they're doing is unlawful and unconstitutional and that nobody should be, should be required to follow these rules or, or even be, you know, nor should even people in the public sector be enforcing them because it's, that's literally impinging on people's constitutionally delineated rights, liberties, and freedoms. And I never once offered myself up as a representative of the sheriff's office. i never mentioned my work at all, and they still came after me and we ended up I ended up on uh, administrative paid administrative leave after I was in under investigation for 60 days. Then they put me out on administrative leave and the stories on my channel, I can shoot, mm-hmm. I can shoot you a link and you could share it with people. Um, but uh, April of April 30th of uh, 2021. So a year yeah. later, a year after I started the channel, they, they put me out on an paid administrative leave with intent to terminate. And I was out for the entire summer, which leads to how I'm connected with Josh.
0: Huh.
1: Um, see, this all connects. Yeah. It's all interconnected. So Josh had started to go on at the time with Carrie Smith and, uh, Cardinal Aaron, who were co-hosting unsafe space.
0: You know, what's amazing and, is I was supposed to be on with Carrie right after you today. And they're having such a, uh, problems in in her house in texas because of the cold weather and the and the storms that she was she's like i don't know our power has been flickering in and out i don't think we should do the podcast tomorrow i was like that's fine but that's yeah. wild so, Car- i didn't know you were connected then that's cool yeah yeah, my, um, yeah
1: i've had carrie i've had Carrie on uh prior to her, her separating from unsafe as well as after she went out on her own i've had carter on i've had josh on and I, I heard about Josh's podcast because Carrie and Carter had Josh on to talk about it because they were seeing the same things. Uh-huh. And so okay. I sat down, I had a lot of time. I mean, I, I read read Atlas Shrugged in a few weeks you know, <laughs> during that time. And I also started to listen to Disaffected and I got into the first four episodes of Disaffected. And I think I was, you know, episode one and episode two, I could tell you exactly where I was. If I, if my camera was more mobile, I'd stick it out my back window and show you the exact spot I was sitting on where Josh started to go into detail. And he started to juxtapose his own personal journey um, as a child as, and as an adult even um, against against things that we have kind of we look at as pop culture and think about, you know, like Mommy Dearest and the story of yeah. you know behind mommy dearest and i'm listening to that and I'm, li- I'm not only my because I, I had never watched mommy dearest i always had an aversion to it even back
0: i've when never it seen it. popular i i knew i know of it and I, I don't want to see it because of the scenes that everybody describes and i, yeah. I just i don't need to yep. i see it too much in my practice
1: yeah and so i i started to like realize And it, and it wasn't a case of me searching for, I don't know how to say this. I wasn't looking for a reason. I'm not the kind of person who looks, run around look, looking for a reason to be butthurt. Right. You know what I mean? Right. This right. is not mm-hmm. me. Like, you had a life, you had a childhood. <laughs> I don't Everybody need to find butthurt.
0: Butt hurt finds me.
1: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Plenty of that going around. I don't need to seek it out.
1: <laughs> I'm just, you keep talking. I'm just going to keep up. Merch- merchandising myself
0: here. MN Black Rub Management is or re- Management. <laughs> it could be management. Uh MN Black Robe Regiment is uh, on his co- on his coffee cup and his beanie.
1: And my mugs. And your mugs.
0: Uh, Eva. My... you've got more stuff for your little podcast than I have for my entire business, I think.
1: <laughs> well, you're not in the you're not in the business of making money off of your merchandise
0: well that's true and i'm also not needing more customers either we've got plenty of hurt in northern nevada i don't need to advertise Uh,
1: yeah so that's where i i i I literally i i had started to kind of communicate with uh with josh um you know those of us who know joshua we call it we get to call him josh so
0: that's right. Well, um, he only he only says Joshua because the diphthong between Josh locum is just too cumbersome on the tongue, so that's why he does that. That, so that he is says.
1: true. Um. So i i sent I sent him a picture. I sat down on the wall. I have this uh, little garden area that we you know have had it as a vegetable garden. We're kind of letting it go to strawberries now and and uh, wildflowers. To okay, I'm not. I'm not a Bunny hugging tree or bunny loving tree hugging granola eating patchouli bathing individual. But we do love our we have several we have several colonies of bumblebees in our yard. Actual bumblebees.
0: That's good. Their bees are on the decline. Uh, We need to do all we can to save them. True story. I don't
1: like I don't like dandelions in my yard, but I keep enough flowering plants, wildflowers and stuff in the garden area as well as actual flowering plants around that we single-handedly are saving the bee population in southern minnesota. Good so, for you.
0: Seriously, good for and, you. water feature will do that too. You can get um yep. honeybees if you have like flowering plants. I know I noticed they had, like the mint around my my um my oh, yeah, in my mint. backyard. I didn't, I didn't know that cuz I've never seen like mint honey, like spearmint honey. I don't know if that's a thing, but bees just flock to the mint around the the thing. It just mm-hmm. grows wild. I mean, sometimes we put it in drinks or whatever, but it's I'd be afraid
1: trees. to I'd be afraid because a lot of our plants are like flowering uh flowering uh chives really so, mm-hmm, I've, so like I've sorry
0: onion honey <laughs> oh. yeah there's a, like I
1: don't I don't want that honey that does not sound good but I uh sat down on the this uh wooden wall of our little wild garden in the back and strawberry patch area in the back and I cried like, I'm not going to lie I, I cried I I think I cried for half an hour listening to Josh and I sent him a picture of it. I'm like, bro, I'm like, I, you know, I I needed this. I needed to hear this because I, I, I'm just going to throw it out there. I, at a very young age became very suicidal, very suicidal, five, six years old.
0: That is really young. And it's, I mean, it's not unheard of, but that's pretty young. And I, I mean, I'm glad you went there because this whole point of this interview is to talk about men being vulnerable and seeking care for themselves. Obviously this is a mental health show. We're going to talk about mental issues and resolving them and some of the origins thereof. But, um, it's really about care for self. And and I'm glad that you went there. So, so tell, tell us about that. I mean, like keep going.
1: I just, I, I don't know why I, you had mentioned something that I had said to Josh when I was on with him, and for those of you that are wondering, well, because I'm not going to go in here and rehash all of this, but uh, I know that uh, Jake's going to link the conversation from dis- the from disaffected because Josh had me on because he and I had been talking as well, and Josh does a consulting business, right? Because his show is. Focused on cluster B personality disorders and how they impact and and interfere with life in in a modern society, and uh, are really kind of becoming very dominant and prominent in society. And so, and systems, Josh,
0: and systems—not just families, right? Like, like agencies and entities and governments and Mm -hmm. uh, businesses and corporations. Like we're seeing this cluster b stuff. the cluster b
1: people are taking over
0: they're in power is what they are and mm-hmm. and they're exercising some of their disordered behavior over their subordinates and it's and the ripple effect across society is uh, very dangerous um so you were on his show telling your story which yep. we, we want you to to share bits of as we go through this but yep. for those who are interested definitely look it up on josh's podcast it's called disaffected and the the title is um cutting the cord i think is what it's called
1: yeah. Cutting the cord. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an audio only for those of you who right. just like to, who actually work and, and listen at the same time, as opposed to Jake and I are just sitting here talking. So, um, we, we got together and talked a lot about what was going on. And then I had a situation arise, um, with a family member, my mom, um, a few weeks before I was on with Josh and so I called him up and I said, Hey man, I, I don't know who else to turn to. I got you and Jake and I, not that I didn't want to talk to Jake. You know that Jake, cause I did ultimately reach out to you as well. And I said, but I really, I need, I need to know. I'm like, am I losing my mind? Am I going crazy? And so Josh and I did talk. We had about an hour, hour and 20 minute phone call and worked through it. He kind of, made me sit back and take a deep breath to realize that I'm not insane. Because when, when you're going through realizing that you grew up in an environment that somehow at the age of five or six, you were at a place emotionally and mentally where you were willing. And that's one of the things that s- sticks with me is this clear. might remi- clear memory, clear memories, it, it just numerous, just, I can just, you know you ever done those flip chart cartoons where you draw stick figures yeah,
0: yeah and they move yeah as you flip the page and they, and they yeah.
1: as you're flipping i can close my eyes and just this flipping flip chart cartoon type moment of i can picture these moments in my you not even youth but as a very young child where i was so hurt and so angry that all i wanted to do was die and numerous times was going so far as to try and even put a belt around my neck to choke myself out, which, you know, fortunately it didn't go any further, but it very easily could have. Yeah. And, and I'm, I have these memories and they pop back up throughout my life and at different times when there's stress, And I'm like, okay, I have to be imagining that, that, that never, that didn't, that did, that didn't happen. Or I was over, I was overreacting. Like, can you, so I'm sitting here and I'm thinking at these different stages in my adult life going, I was overreacting. I was five. What, what five-year-old doesn't overreact about everything. And if your five-year-old's not overreacting, you're going to go get him help because they might have something wrong with right, them that right, they're not right, overreacting. Right.
0: Like, I have a five-year-old who my... does overreact to everything.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, it you just kind of, and there's this, there's this moment where you're like, I have to stop looking at this through the eyes of an adult telling five-year-old me, just get over it. And never once did I, until I came to connect with Josh and have conversations with Josh and become friends with him, not once did I ever ask myself, "Why would you feel that way at five or six,
0: right, or or seven or eight? Or well, and and we can really take this uh, uh, all the way out to any age. And and here's why I, what I mean by that: it's not. It's not that you're not supposed to overreact at five. That's developmentally appropriate. Things are big, right? Because you're walking on earth for the first time and you're experiencing things for the first time and the brain is receiving input for the first time. And so it all seems new and new is often a little disorienting at, at best and overwhelming at worst. So it's appropriate to overreact at those ages. As we age, the brain gets used to things and it creates little maps and mental shortcuts to get through different situations. And that's why emotional functioning is so important to me because if you teach yourself that emotion is tolerable at a young age with little things that really on the surface don't really matter like you can we we'll use a scrape for example. If you fall down and scrape your hand for the first time on, you know, decomposed granite, you know, on concrete or whatever, or in the street, it hurts like crazy, right? And you scream and cry, and and even though it may not be bleeding, it hurts. It's the first time. It's overwhelming. Okay, so you get through that appropriately, and you go, "Man, that hurt. That really hurt. Man, I thought it was gonna hurt forever, but it didn't." Let's then, not do that again. Right, right, right. Sure, band aid, back teen, whatever. And then some years pass, and then you you're uh, you're not five anymore. You're you're nine, and you fall down and you scrape it again. And you go, "Ooh, ow, jeez." I remember that from last time, but I know that in two days it'll not hurt. And in seven days it will be gone. And then at 14, you do it again. And now you just brush it off. And maybe you, you look around at your friends, and you go like, ha ha, blood is cool, <laughs> right? Cause you're 14. And then, and that's how our brains develop. So we, we have this, if you can picture it as like a sine curve, it's not a sine curve, but it's like highs and lows, highs and lows. Over time, that oscillation should, should shrink a little bit. So the highs aren't so high and the lows aren't so low. <clears throat> and that's why like people who are well advanced in age often are just like not surprised by anything and they just listen to classical music <laughs> instead of like watching the news because they're they 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 have seen a lot. And I'm not gonna say they've seen it all, but you know, they've seen a lot and, and it's you know, things aren't surprising anymore. Well, what you're talking about with suicide here, it's like we gotta ask ourselves, there's a there's an extremity to that where you go, why was I feeling that way? Why was I that down in the dumps? Why was I that far into despair? And I think that's a legitimate question to ask of anybody who gets to that point, um, because there are reasons. Now, they may seem foolish to an outsider. They may seem foolish to you in retrospect, but there are legitimate reasons at that time that justified whatever it was you're feeling. Only after you push through it can you go, "Ah, yeah, okay, I'm glad I didn't act out of that impulse, because then I'd be dead right? Um, next time that I feel this thing, I can be prepared for it because I've already been through it once. So I, I'm curious to, to know what your conclusion was when you're like, what, what was it that brought me to that point that it was so extreme? We're not talking about overreaction because you're de- it's developmentally appropriate. We're talking about something on a whole different order of magnitude where you're not just freaking out because you didn't get your way or your toys got taken. You wanted to remove yourself from the earth. That's a that's a big leap
1: yeah, i i I look at it from the I'm, I'm trying to you know sit down next to five six seven year old me and 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 want to ask why do you feel that way and i I don't know what the answer to that is, but i I do know that it it's pain it's pain sure deep deep pain deep pain and that's just not, you know, clinically. And obviously you're the professional.
0: Um, well, I don't you know how obvious pra- it practi- is.
1: But... Practicing, practicing there you get to practice. You your whole life Constantly. is practice. That's true. The That's rest true of us have to be professional from the start. <laughs> yeah, <right. So. laughs>
0: yeah. It's not the practice of engineering. It's it's the practice <laughs> of, of therapy. What do you
1: I'm a practicing engineer. I'm not going to drive on your bridge. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm just practicing. The real one comes later. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um but obviously it's pain, but I like you ask me to explain that. Like even now looking back and I have no idea other than as I go through, you know, and I, and I reflect and I want people to understand too. And I had said this on when I was, when I was on with Josh, we, we joke, right? Like Jake, you know, my opinion about people who joke about PTSD and complex PTSD. I did it. I got it that time. Um, Jake and I have a joke about trying to say complex PTSD. So.
0: It, well, it, it's hard when you put the, the four, the five letters together is what it is. Yeah.
1: CPTSD.
0: Yeah.
1: But. Or when people joke about oh, I'm a narcissist and they make a joke about it, or I'm O C D or I have DID or or or
0: this weather is so bipolar or the San Francisco Giants are so schizophrenic this year. It's like, yeah, you're weaponizing Mm -hmm. it and you're minimizing it.
1: Yeah. And and so people who are genuinely dealing with mental health issues, like let's not and I don't like to use the term marginalized, but let's not demean them. Right. For that. Because like they already they already have problems, folks. Let's not let's that's not like you well, would never say that about oh oh you're oh I just have so much cancer today.
0: Yeah, right, like, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it seems absurd on the surface, and yet there's license to do that. And to ice the cake a little bit here, I have a real problem with people self-diagnosing, and then um, I mean, I have a real problem with it. But also identifying as diagnosis after self-diagnosing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, now it's, now it's Oh, become, I,
1: I uh, so totally have it.
0: Yeah, it wh- here's the, here's the, here's the issue though. Like when you start doing that, it delegitimizes the whole profession. So it's like, well, why do I need to exist as a therapist? If you've just solved your issue? I, I mean, legitimately, I don't want to exist as a therapist because you will have solved your issues. That's why we do podcasts and YouTube videos. I want this information out so that people can be healthy. I want to work myself out of a job, but what I don't want is um, amateurs on TikTok pointing out normal life stresses and calling it something that's diagnostic. That's that's not cool, man, because what you're doing is you're watering down everything. And, and, and I think the pendulum has swung from, we're not allowed to talk about mental illness to everyone needs a therapist. And it's like, no, you don't. Uh, you need to get through life. And the therapy is reserved for the extreme presentations that, you know, step into your life and alter it. Not, Oh, um, I, I speak bluntly. So therefore I have autism. Like what? No. Like the people who genuinely have autism uh, have way more going on than just like an unfiltered opinion. Like that's, you can't hide behind that as licensed to be a jerk. Like, oh no, that's, I'm just telling you how it is straight up, man. That's the truth. And it's my autism. It's like, what? what? No, no, you're rude. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. Uh,
1: well, and, and that's kind of what I was saying Thank you too for about Josh.
0: Is... my diatribe.
1: No. Just... Hey, it's your show, bro. Yeah.
0: Although give me that you're... mic. <laughs> like Kanye, <laughs> snatch the mic.
1: You've got a, uh, you must have lighting issues going on. You got sun coming in one of your windows.
0: Yeah. You see that on the camera there? Yeah. Look at that. Right. Ooh. Halo effect.
1: Yeah. You got, Ooh.
0: makes me look cool. Yeah, you got, does it though? No, I make myself look cool. I'm just there gonna bump go. this back but, a little bit. There we go. Well,
1: one of the things that I had said to Josh was everybody's, oh, we all lived in a dysfunctional family. And you and I talked about this. Like, no, mm-hmm. we, like, I've, I've said this to so many people over the last couple of years. Like, no, we don't all live in dysfunctional families because if all, all of us live in a dysfunctional family, then it's normal. And if it's normal, it's not dysfunctional. And if it's dysfunctional, it's not normal. You can't have it both ways and and it's the same thing with men it's exact same thing not every fight you have in your family not every argument not every moment where somebody was unduly harsh or rude or mean to you is dysfunction or abuse in the in the it may have been a momentary moment of abusive behavior but it is not a pattern or a track record of abuse right and dysfunction does not work that way either just because you guys had a bad christmas where grandpa said something he shouldn't have said pissed off dad dad yelled at mom mom threw the cat and the cat knocked over a bottle of wine and grandma had to cry that's not a dysfunctional family that's christmas
0: yeah that's that's a moment right and josh makes a good point of this regularly on his show when he says you know we're not when we talk about cluster b personality disorders and i and i do this too clinically and i agree with him and this is why i like what he does he's very very careful and diligent about what he says and does it it's a long standing pattern of maladaptive behavior it's not a moment in time and and so here's here's a really good point that i don't i don't know that i've ever really considered before but what the cluster b people do and this is why it's so critical that we We have to acknowledge where they're in leadership and and power positions is they'll take those moments and generalize them as if they're patterns and then launch into a a litany of complaints, um, do an appeal to authority fallacy where they call on other people and be like, CC, look, don't you guys agree with me? And through their emotional leveraging and blackmail and possibly through their power, you know, like through position, they can get a, a, a gang of people to agree. And then you are on your heels going, uh, have I done that a whole bunch? Like, dude, is this a real problem? And then all of a sudden the moment of misstep or impulsivity, or, you know, just, you had a bad day and you weren't, you didn't eat lunch becomes the, not only the reason for ridicule and, uh, I don't know, bullying, suspension, termination, whatever it is, but it becomes identifiable to you as part of your character like it's like there goes Jake the guy who snapped af- in the afternoon at the employee because he didn't have lunch and you know had a head full of stress like yeah Jake may have been unkind in that moment but that is that part of Jake's character like let's let's evaluate his <laughs> 44 years on the earth like how often has he had these moments if it's a pattern and a whole bunch of people go yeah I've had that happen to me multiple times across environs you go yeah all right now Here's the problem with that, though. Jake could have snapped a bunch of times. If you get the right people, they're like, yeah, he snapped at me, too. I'm like, oh, see, there's six people. It's like six people across 44 years, all with one moment that they can point to. I don't know that that makes a pattern of behavior. But the cluster B people will make you think that, and it'll push you onto your heels such that you, you, you start to question your own reality and your own sanity, which is what you went through as a child and into adulthood, where you're questioning your own memories. You're, you're wondering, did that actually happen? I'm pretty sure I was present for it, <laughs> but you're being told like don't believe your lying eyes
1: well and it's so here here's an here's an example and you know at first i want to say like it wasn't uh it wasn't a boy called it, I'm sure we're all familiar with the the book a child called it, yeah not a boy child called it um i i don't Story seems pretty legit to me. I don't know, you know, how.
0: I never actually, <laughs> disclaimer, I never actually read it. I only heard about it. And it was in uh, college, I think, in grad school when we were talking about, like, um, child development or something. And somebody brought it up. And it, and it was one of those recommendations, like, everybody needs to read this book. And I, I heard about it. And I was like, I don't think I want to read that book. Um,
1: yeah, I wish to, I hadn't. <laughs> uh, so
0: to explain it to the audience, because I can't, because I obviously didn't so, read it.
1: so, I think I think his name is David Peltier. And he grew up incredibly abused, Incred- like, and it wasn't like the house was uh, abuse, abusive across the board to everyone in the same way. He was the target for all of it, and you know, like eating, had to eat food off the floor, uh, was not allowed to, you know, bathe and shower, was kept locked in a room. And while all the other kids were fine. Now, what they were going through was also abusive. It was just abusive in a way that would have been harder for other people to recognize. And eventually he was rescued from that. Some things came up, but I didn't grow up like that. It was, I don't want people to think like, oh, wow, this poor guy was, you know, was hit with bricks and rocks and thrown down the stairs. And like, I, there were how, good how, moments.
0: However just because the physical wasn't present all the time doesn't mean right. that it wasn't as impactful. And I think sometimes we can, and this, this honestly, this is where mental illness gets a, a bad rap is we think because the scars aren't visible that they don't exist. And that's how domestic violence continues to be perpetrated. That's how child mm-hmm. abuse continues to be perpetrated. Cause we, you know, you look at the kid and you're like, well, I don't see any bruises. It's like, well, yeah, they're cause they're emotional. And sometimes those are even worse because you walk through life getting invalidated and not, uh, not acknowledged by the authorities, or you know, other family members, Great. or whatever. Um, I, I have worked. I mean, I, that's how I entered the profession. Is I cut my teeth, you know, on that type of demographic, working in home with kids from abusive households who are in foster care or adoptive parents. The stories are. I mean, if you're listening to this for the first time, and you're like a, a little unfamiliar with the field. What TC is laying out there is. Um, I, I mean, I, it doesn't surprise me at all. I'm like, yep, yep. I'm nodding along um, with the the story that he told about the kid in the book. Um, and then, you know, putting a comma, but on there, I, but it wasn't you, right? You didn't experience that level. And yes, there are varying levels of course, but, um, I think it's important to note that this is way, way, way more common than people give credit way more common. We just never see it. And then they emerge as apparently healthy functioning adults, like the ones you might see on your screen or hear in your ears. Um, and nobody knew. Right. Nobody knew that that went on in the childhood of the person who's now, you know, working at the grocery store or hosting the podcast or running for office or whatever it is. It's like, yeah, we all we all have some stories. Oh, no, we know
1: it goes on in the life of people that run for office. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what are you saying? I ran for office. Oh, wait,
1: wait. <laughs>
0: anyway, game so, set
1: and match. Yeah. So <laughs> um, it's and that, you know, and so and I also I want people to hear like you can laugh at stuff like you can, you can go through these things and you can laugh at things and you can, you can have a sense of humor. Some, for some of us, especially those of us who have gone through this, we tend to have very much gallows level humor.
0: Yeah. It's, it's actually humor is one of our um, adaptive coping skills. As, as I reach for my DSM four, uh, DSM diagnostic and okay. statistical. You couldn't, have, couldn't
1: afford five. What is it? What is this? You I need have to two
0: fives and a pocket version, oh. but, um, no, uh, the right. four, no, it's important though. The, the, the four, Used to have something called um, coping mechanisms, and they had, and it was in one of the appendices. And I'm flipping the page now, but uh, what what it did was it listed off ways that people deal with uh, psychological, emotional distress and disturbances, and it broke it into ranked categories of healthy to unhealthy. And so some of the unhealthy ones are like psychotic denial and um, and uh, I don't know, reaction formation and displacement. Some of the healthier ones are things like humor, and uh, sublimation, and and I teach on this. I'm trying to find the page. I can't remember it. I teach on this, uh, and unfortunately, what they did was from the four to the five, they they took it out. Here it is. Um, from the four to the five, they they took out these defense mechanisms, and I and I think it's a real shame because we need them. We need to understand that altruism and anticipation are healthy and splitting and projection are not. And um, and now with their removal, we have an entire generation of students who have become licensees since, since The Five was published in 2013, so quite a while now, almost 10 years, um, that don't know that and they don't have that vocabulary to describe what's going on when they see their patients or they see this in society. They don't, they don't know how to explain the behaviors Um, and so I think I see it as an erosion of an ability to assess correctly what, what is going on. So humor is a great, great, great coping skill. Um, and, and I think we've lost the ability to have humor largely because we're walking around a society of people who are looking for reasons to be offended. Um, but it's, it's useful to cope. It helps to get our arms Mm -hmm. around something problematic and possibly very tragic in an adaptive way. Uh, if we don't have that because it's been taken from us by authorities or by offended people, what do we have to reach for? You know, it's like, it's, it's really hard. So humor is good. And we do emerge on the other side of these things using good coping mechanisms like humor to, to get through them. Um, I really am hijacking this conversation a lot, aren't we?
1: Well, it's your show. So
0: yeah, don't you forget it. Don't worry. Next time I have you on mine, we'll you'll hijack. Oh,
1: I'll, I'll hijack my own show. <laughs> um, so i you know there we, there were plenty of good mo- go, good moments even when it, when we were in the midst of bad times there were still you know good moments good memories like that that you do not have to dwell on or or you know create a functionally torturous lifestyle uh, to prop up your your story or your account of what you went through so to somehow make the impact more like oh you poor thing in fact i you know i look at it the person that i talk to for the most part who comes to me and says yeah i went through this 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 and this and it was every day all the day di- all day all the time without fail never a break i'm like bs
0: yeah not possible
1: yeah be it, be it. it's not this you would have literally like you would have literally died if it was that bad all the time yeah, you just would have given up the will to live, not just be suicidal. You would have just died. H-
0: However, and- that is a coping mechanism too to keep people sane. Is that if if they need to set boundaries and separate, create separation from the person who's mm-hmm. you know per- per- perpetu- yeah, per- perpetrated this harm, they um, they have to almost go into a binary where it's like it's all bad. If I see any good, then I might go back into the cycle, and and mm-hmm. that's that's one of the 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 techniques that is used by abusers is to remind you of the good times to get you back. Right. And you go, well, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess so. Um, and they will say things yeah.
1: like, well, what, there was never anything good in your life.
0: Right. In, in a condescending manner to usurp control. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the point of that. A therapist will go, are you sure? It was all bad, you know? And then they go, well, no, okay. You're right. Yeah. I guess the times when I was at school, you know, were pretty good. We did have some birthday parties when the the relatives came over, but that was only because dad had to be on his best behavior because he knew that his brother wouldn't tolerate it. Right. You're like, okay, all I wanted you to do is get out of the binary. Uh, that's fine. Right. But if you need to hang on to that so that you can continue creating separation, that's fine. I just want right. I don't want people slipping into the, the black or white thinking because that becomes harmful into itself. So you had, there is times. a place
1: for binary or black and white there, thought there, you know, some things are right. Some things are wrong correct. and there's no, you know, there's but you're, I don't, I've, I kind, I kind of focused on, we had, we had great vacations and, you know, I used to go hunting and fishing with dad and everything mm-hmm. was, you know, and I remember all those well. And, and, you know, stuff with mom, things were, you know, there were some of my fondest memories are, you know, mom making breakfast in the morning and, yeah. you know, and, and me, you know, even as a, Middle schooler watching mom leave on the day she'd work, watching her leave to go to work and and being, you know, sad that she was leaving yeah, and, and wanting to, you know, wave goodbye as she was going. And so there there are there are things, but there are also other things, you know, and I was, you know, I was telling you before we started recording that uh, mom and dad would go to my school conferences and come home and say things like, who are you? I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Oh, your teachers, you're so polite, you're so respectful, you're so courteous, you're so generous, you're so kind, and and on and on and on and on. And they like, and then they would say, and we said, well, pff, glad he's like that here, because he's not like that at home. And then they would say that to me. And for the longest time, I was like, oh, they're being funny. And then I'm like, no, I, I like, no, that's not funny. That's like, it, that, that's not funny at all. And why would you say that to someone? Like because I then what what I did is I internalized, and I even hate saying that because that's taken on such a weird context in our society today. uh But I internalized that to the point where I never I I you've heard me I have a very self deprecating perspective and a sense of humor, and like I have no I have no sense of self worth at all none I like I never good enough ever in my own mind, no matter how well I'm doing, or when I do make a mistake, it's compounded in my mind because, yeah, of course I screwed that up because I'm a big F up. Yeah. And I, I can identify. It used to be that way. I did. And, and so like, that's what I finally realized is like, that was deprecating. That's deprecating to say that to someone to, to like, your teeth. You really have, and it's kind of gaslighting too. you've got your teachers fooled. We know who the real you is is what's being yeah, said there. Yeah.
0: That's where it goes off the rails. Cause I mean, anybody who has kids has the experience of like, why do you treat others better than you treat your brother? Why do you act well in class, but you act so poorly at home? Like we, I think we all go through that. If you've ever had kids of any you know age, you see those disparities and you're like, what? And, and it's really easily explained by comfort. You know, it's the same reason we, speak harshly to the ones closest to us, but we treat our, um, colleagues at work with, you know, super kindness. It's like, well, it's cause cause you take it for granted. So that's why like love has to be a practice. We have to practice, um, honor and respect and virtue and, you know, other centered, uh, thinking and that kind of thing Because otherwise we fall into that complacency where we, you know, snap harshly at our loved ones while treating strangers with great respect. So like there's that, but then what you're highlighting here is that is the, like the driving the nail in which is you've got them that's not the real you right like parents who are healthy see their kids like dude why are you two different people <laughs> like dr jekyll and mr jackass <laughs> like like what's up with that and then you go uh, is but, that
1: the modernized version yeah. is that the new play is
0: that <laughs> <what>? <laughs> uh there's my jackass um yeah it's a uh, you know but 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 good parents will realize that that's part of the entirety of the individual and we won't try to compartmentalize or pigeonhole you into one or the other. The entirety of the individual is tantrum throwing and politeness. It is hard work and laziness. It is respect and disrespect. We can all do those things and not break it down into black or white. Right. And, and even worse, we're telling you that like, like being told that the real you quote unquote is the the disobedient, disrespectful one or however they, they categorize you, man, that's harsh that's super super harsh it is gaslighty um, because again they're telling you that you aren't really you or they're they're saying that your teachers are lying or that you're lying to them and honestly like if that's the case you could just flip the switch and be super respectful at school and not at home well great you've got it figured out <laughs> you know what I mean like <laughs> I don't know if that's such a bad thing
1: i'll give I'll give another example I don't think I gave this with Josh i I only listened back through my conversation with josh when i was on there i think one time i think josh says he listens to all of his shows back i don't listen to a lot of my stuff I back don't, I, so. I
0: don't i don't have the time if i'm gonna listen to uh, if i'm gonna spend time listening i'm gonna listen to somebody who's not me
1: that's right i'm you know i say that all the time if i'm gonna listen to somebody it's gonna be not jake so um, <laughs> but i think the I had uh, an experience and I might have shared this with you on the phone call uh, last week. I had a I had an experience where for spelling and, and we all remember, you know, back when you still actually had to handwrite your spelling words. Does anybody remember that?
0: Yeah, my my kids are doing it actually. Uh they still do it, at least at in one school.
1: We would get a spelling sheet at the beginning of the week every week. And my, you know, my regimen at home was Monday you bring the spelling sheet home, you practice your spelling words by writing them out 10, 15, 20 times or whatever it was every night. And then mom would give me a pretest on Thursday and on Friday I'd go in and take the test. Well, in sixth grade, uh teacher Accused me of cheating because I had memorized, like I had done every week from the beginning of that school year, uh, I had memorized not only every word and how it was spelled, but the order by which it was presented on the sheet. And that teacher never broke from that order. That teacher always gave the words in the exact same order every week to include all of the, the bonus spelling words. I and remember so, that. I gave, I just sat down. It's a spelling test and I just started writing down all the words. Teacher walked by and my spelling test was complete and she wasn't even three words in and afterwards called me, you know, up to the front. She said, why are you cheating? And I'm like, I'm not cheating. Yes, you are. I'm like, I'm not cheating. And I had to go home and tell mom I'm being accused of cheating. Well, my mom had a meeting with that individual. He said, he's not cheating. And I remember her being personally offended by that. And I, I didn't think about it in light of, of being in sixth grade. I'm thinking about it now. That to me is, was part of the pattern of anything that made us look bad.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So it wasn't actual offense that you were being questioned for your good work ethic. It was, it was something different. It was the piercing of the veil.
1: Well, yeah, I, because I then then now when I look back, like I said, it's where I now see the pattern. So we had, um, uh, I had an uncle from California who came back to uh, Iowa, where I was living, who ended up being the first person in the state of Iowa diagnosed with HIV and AIDS. And people today are like, what's the big deal? Like, I don't know if people understand HIV and AIDS at that time was a death sentence.
0: Yeah, it, and, yeah. And when, when in was in this? Early 80s? Mid-80s, yeah.
1: Mid-80s. I would have been in 7th or 8th grade by the time this happened. Okay. And there was, we had to hide that. No one could know. And for a lot of reasons, because then it would have been even, you know, hell, school would have been, school was hell anyway. It would have been even more hell if that got out. But we had to hide it from the world. Even though there were other people in the world who were admitting it and saying, yes, I have HIV, I, you know, I have full-blown AIDS, we had to hide that. And we, and to this day, we still have to hide it. Hmm. Okay. I, I started writing, I for lack of better terminology, I guess, a, a, an autobiography. And I wrote about that. And I wrote about some of the other experiences as it relates to my dad when he started drinking. And I, I was chastised. People don't need to know that. I don't want you to put that out there.
0: Mm-hmm
1: and and that's when it you know and that was before i really realized the depth of everything else that was going on but it's about the image we have to portray an image we have to we have this image that we have to keep so so as to not have people think poorly of us
0: in psychodynamic terms it's that's the ego um the 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 appearance to the world Right or how you view it is the ego, and the motive behind that is called an introjection. So it's an unquestioned belief or assumption that's just pushed into your psyche, and the, the the unquestioned belief is no one needs to know about our dirty laundry. In fact, you're not even allowed to talk about it. In fact, don't even acknowledge that it exists. And then any any let um, me questioning or pushback on that threatens the ego, threatens the the existence of the worldview, and if people don't hold loosely to their ideas and instead conflate what they think with who they are, it seems like a threat to self, and you will have a very emotional, fear-based response to that apparent threat, so that's why people get defensive when their beliefs get challenged. If they're not holding loosely to their beliefs and they've intertwined them with their sense of who they are as a human being, then it seems like an attack on you, so your mom who is not holding light lightly with her beliefs or doesn't even recognize that they are beliefs it's like just the way it is then when that gets challenged uh she thinks she her brain's going to register it as an attack on her um and i've been wanting to ask this for like 40 minutes now uh
1: if i ever shut up no
0: no no, no no it's a great opening uh for me to ask it uh because I think it's hard for, for dudes broadly to acknowledge that they need assistance in anything, you know. I don't care if it's mental health or wood cutting. It's like, no, no, I got it. <laughs> no, honey, I don't need to call the electrician. Zap. You know.
1: Um, you might want to call the ambulance now, though. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It has to get really, really bad, right? Um, how has it been for you, just acknowledging in your own mind that you weren't well? Like, and I know it's been a couple year journey, if not longer, but like when that arrival point actually happened and you're like, Oh man, I I need to, I need to do some examination. What was that like? Like how, how was that process?
1: I think the, the, the place where it hit me the most was about, well, it's almost five years ago now, about, about five years ago. I was severely assaulted in the line of duty. So I was a deputy inside of a detention center, uh, sworn deputy. I didn't have patrol duties. I all of my duties and, and responsibilities were within within an adult detention center. I supervised violent and you know non-compliant members of society who were uh, either awaiting trial or had been sentenced and were doing local time and, and whatnot. And in, in one situation, I had been working with a a very suicidal individual and assisting him and had been assisting him for quite some time. And this particular night he had been during the day had not gotten the kind of treatment he had been used to getting from me. This had set him off. And so instead of, of expressing his anger in a reasonable way with people who were responsible for his anger, he decided he was going to try and kill me. And I'm not exaggerating
0: to to be clear. He liked you and, when he didn't get the treatment like you're talking about with, from somebody else, he took it out on you.
1: Yep. Okay. And was very disrespectful to me. And I said, look, you know, Joe, uh, you don't get to talk to me that way either, you know, do what you need to do because I'm giving you this time that I really not obligated to give you, but I know you had a rough day. And so I'm trying to work with you here. And he just kept going. I said that, you know, it's enough. You can go back to yourself. Well, he, he attacked me. He, he attacked me and I just happened to be fortunate enough that there was another deputy in very, very close proximity who saved my life because this, you know, and I don't care how well-trained you are. If somebody gets a drop on you, as much as you try, you can't Mm -hmm. like, especially when they're intent on hurting you. And he, he was going to choke me out and he did. I was, I was losing consciousness and had I not had another deputy in close proximity, it would have gone way worse than it did. And I had a fellow deputy came up to me probably three, four weeks afterwards. And and she says, I'm worried about you. And I'm like, why? She goes, you've changed. And I, I could understand what she was saying, but now that I look back on it, it wasn't that particular, the the assault was bad, but we've all been in, you know, if you're a guy, you've been in a fight for the most part, not every guy, but a lot of guys, you've all been in a fight. Some of them when you were a kid, some of them when you were in high school or college, and you probably shouldn't have been fighting because it gets to a different, dangerous level there. But it 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 was bad. It was a bad scene. And he flat out told other deputies, and when, as they were hauling him away uh, into a different location, he's like, "Well, is he all right?" And they're like, "Yeah, he's fine." And they're like, "Oh, that's too bad. I'll finish what I started later." And So this was an intense moment for him and it was an intense moment for me but what I realized is that was a cap and, and by a cap I mean it, it was an incredibly intense very dangerous fraught moment that dredged up all of the other things that I had been through in my life and I just my I just couldn't do it anymore. I could not react like nothing was bothering me anymore. Just I it, it just absolutely devastated me in an emotional way that I could not make sense in my mind of why is this freaking bugging me so goddamn much. And and it, and it finally hit me because you've been holding everything else down, whatever it is that you've been holding down, you've been holding it down for a very long time. And, and then that's, you know, a couple of years later, you know, and then I did try seeing someone there who, I don't, I don't know how to explain. He did, he was not right for the, I, I don't know, like, you know how math people who are good at math should not be math teachers. <laughs> yeah, you know those people. Yeah. You know they're like they look at you like, how can you not understand how to do this quantum physics problem? Yeah. What are you a moron? Like this is like I'm looking at him going. He probably had a lot of empathy and uh, understood that people had you know mental and emotional psychological damage, but he was not good at it. <laughs> And, you know, it kept trying to point it at, back at me like, well, why are you reacting this way? And I'm like, I don't know. I I, I don't know why I'm reacting. That's why I'm here. This you is know? a
0: counselor. This is a counselor. Yeah, this is okay. a
1: counselor. He goes, well, tell me why you feel like you're reacting that way. I, I tried to kill me. What do you think? You know? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. Goes, but uh, you
1: sound like you sound like you're afraid that being here is going to get you in trouble. I'm like, I, yeah, well, I work in the law enforcement world. Fit for duty is a thing, you know? So... uh and I, so I didn't last very long because it just wasn't grasping it. And, you know, it may not, maybe wasn't totally him. It could have been some of me, you know, not understanding everything else that was going on. But that's when I started to realize there's probably a lot more going on here. And then fast forward a few years later or a couple of years later, and I run into Josh's stuff and I'm like, Oh, now I get it. <laughs> and it, it, it just was, it was like I had seen physical abuse as a child. I, I, not, didn't really suffer it in the same way but i had seen it um, traumatic in traumatic ways and that was it right there like i just suffered what i had seen and in, in in what i finally realized was that huh i i got a lot of i got a lot of of baggage you know to use the terminology of the world i had a lot of baggage or issues I used to tell people, "Yeah, I have a lot of issues. I have magazine racks full of issues." <laughs> <That's> what I. <laughs> not that anybody knows what a magazine rack is anymore, but uh, barbershops
0: do. Yeah, it's you know, it's not that we don't have issues; it's that it's how long we carry them without addressing them, right? And and that, and you just, and that was you just never addressed it, it. Yeah.
1: And uh, what ended up happening for me was. Sorry, I'm getting weather alerts. For those of you who don't know, it, Minnesota Black Road Regiment is not just a catchy name; it's where I live, and uh, it. We have a balmy negative forty-four real feel with the wind chill today, and uh, so I keep getting weather alerts telling me to stay home. I'm like, yeah, duh. So, but uh, I, I just realized like, I have all of this, and it. I think in my family's perspective, not my personal family, but my my family as I was growing up, I think in my family's perspective, everything in our home culminated in my dad's alcoholism.
0: That was the scapegoat, and you mean?
1: No, not the scapegoat. It, it was the pinnacle of the bad life. Oh, if that makes sense.
0: yeah. So like, but, so, but, it, so, but it was the thing to point to,
1: it was the thing to point to of like, yep, we went through this really bad, short, brief period of time where, you know, your dad drank, And, you know, dad drank and got violent and mean, and things went bad for a year and a half or two years. Dad went into treatment. And, uh, and even the story behind that dad going into treatment was it's mind blowing and how much that impacted me is like, I found this out in sixth grade as my dad's in treatment. I found out halfway through dad in treatment that the reason he went into treatment is that he left work early that day, came home, sat down on the couch and put a shotgun in his mouth. And literally was about to pull the trigger when he heard, you don't want to die like this. He, to this day, he swears to God that it was God. Hmm. That said, you don't want to do this. And he called my mom, mom left work, came, picked him up, took him to treatment. I came home. Grandma was there. Your dad's gone. He's in the hospital. Halfway through treat halfway through dad's treatment. I found out that he was going to sit down on the couch and was going to blow his mouth, his, put shotgun in his mouth and going to blow his head off. Now, who do you think would have found him? You. Because I was always home for first. Mm-hmm. And people are like, well, at least you didn't. But I don't think people understand that after having lived through what we lived through, the image of coming home and finding that and having had such a strained relationship in the family, even that was devastating.
0: Yeah, Yeah, people don't understand. That's why we don't share those things with children, by the way. That's why that's why there's a there should be a bar- boundary between adults and kids. You don't share adult problems with children. Their brains aren't made to receive that. Our brain. You're listening to this podcast right now. We don't do trigger warnings here because a lot of reasons. We don't do trigger warnings. Um, but we don't just don't have podcast podcast enough time
1: on. in a show to do all the trigger warnings. Well, yeah, we I, mean,
0: I just I can't. I, I'm not going to mentally uh, foresee what somebody's going to be um, triggered by, uh, and then even saying. There's a trick. Hey, this this thing may disturb you. Could be disturbing unto itself, and then it also. I know the brain well enough that it sparks curiosity, and so people are going to listen anyway. But if you're an adult listening to the show and you just had that image put in your head, most people's brains aren't like developed and trained because there is training involved. You were in law enforcement. I had a dalliance with it, and then I taught it for a while. Um, we get specially trained to deal with absurd situations and extreme presentations and so forth most people don't and so now imagine taking that and putting it into a kid's brain who even has sixth grade yeah it doesn't even like you might not have even experienced death by then like i don't know like a lot of kids don't until they're much older even pet pet deaths right um so we again think back to the practice that i mentioned earlier about the idea of going through something so that your brain is trained to go through it again and know that it can survive, right? And the world's not going to spin off its axis. It's, that's trauma, you know? And I don't mean everybody has trauma. That's become a trope, too, that makes me want to pull my hair out. But that is a, a traumatic event. when you When you introduce something into a child's psyche that they're not developed to deal with, And then I'm sure you weren't exactly wrapped in kindness and and support following that. It was probably more like, yeah, this is what a a crazy dad wanted to kill himself. And you're like, "Ah, what? And then life goes on. I'm guessing is that accurate?
1: It wasn't. It wasn't even conversational. It was just you know found out that dad was going to kill him. You know, like literally, this is the story of what he did. And I'm like. (laughs) And all that's going in my mind is, I would have found him. Right, right, right. Yeah, there, I, there was no. Support. I, that would have. That would have been. That, that would have been like me, and like that, yeah. my head up. Then, yeah. and I'm like, but. Things that were said to me even years later were, "Well, you had to grow up so fast," and you know, I, it, you matured so much faster than everybody else in your in your in your class. What's your like, what? Well, where are you in the like birth no order? Sh- I'm the oldest child, yeah,
0: yeah, okay. So I, I would have guessed, yeah, yeah. And you just said, you it's no shit. yeah, it's like you it was required because nobody else around you was I being did, an adult,
1: I, like I literally did. I had to step up because dad was gone and mom was still working, and and so I was, you know, getting my brother, to, you know, up and taking him to school, and I was mm-hmm. making breakfast, and and all of this stuff sounds like, okay, what's the big deal? There's thousands of kids and families that do that, but it, it, it's It's true there are, but it's under the guise of it's a family working together. And in this situation, I didn't have a choice. Right. And and it wasn't like I was going to say, no, mom, you do it. I don't feel like it. There was no, that wasn't an option.
0: Yeah. And I I don't know. I don't know that just because thousands of people experience it makes it right either. I, I, you know, I I think I'm a big proponent of preserving children's innocence as long as we can, not growing them up as quickly as we can.
1: And I, you know, Josh uses the term that a lot of people know, and, and it's very much a very clinical perspective, especially in these types of relationships. It's called parentification. Yeah. And
0: yeah, we use that. In and way. I,
1: I would not have understood that then, but that's what was going on for me at that time. I was being, you know, parentified. I had no choice. I had to step up and mature and, and be an adult. And what I do realize is that, effect that impacted my relationships with classmates. How so? I just didn't have the interest that they had at that point. I wanted to, I, I did, I was not interested in fun and games. I wasn't interested in, and that doesn't mean I didn't go out and screw around with my friends at times. But during that time, I had no interest in anything.
0: They're like playing it with was, G.I. Joes
1: and you're looking for jobs. <laughs> what? Well, I was, I was looking to do what I could do to keep the peace and and serenity of the home. And, and the place that I felt the most comfortable was the drive up to see dad on a weekly, weekly basis for the family treatment times where I wasn't really in family treatment. It was, we saw dad for 10, 15 minutes and then dad went to a meeting and mom went to a meeting and I went to Alateen. Hmm. And like I related to those because I'm in a room full of people who are all traumatized.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. At bare minimum, because they had their parents removed, you know, and mm-hmm. who knows what else went on behind that. Um, Cause you know, addiction presents in very different ways depending on the person and the, and the system and all that stuff. But yeah, it is traumatizing to go through that. Um, it's hard. You said it was a year and a half. He was in treatment.
1: No, he wasn't. I think he. I think it was a little over. I want to say it was thirty-five or forty-five days or something like that. Oh, he okay. was gone, but his drinking had been getting expressly, rapidly, increasingly more uh, tumultuous mm-hmm. to the point of violence, and. And, and that I think was finally where it just caught up with him. And I think that's what led to the, you know, the suicidal ideation. Yeah. And we could have a whole separate conversation as to, you know, yes, he owned his own problem and his own violence, but there are other things that come into play with that. And you had even mentioned like, okay, but why were you drinking? Why did it accelerate at the rate that it did? And, and, uh, you know, and, and, and and even at that time, you know, faith was a big part of the home, uh, and there would have been a time up to that where, oh, drinking, you know, drinking alcoholism is a sin. It's just a sin. You just don't drink, no, no, no problem with alcoholism, um, which, yeah, sure, you can't develop functional alcoholism if you're not drinking, but you can certainly be a sober drunk, you know, yep. and And, uh, you know, clearly alcohol also removes inhibitions, but uh, then we went to enough of these, you know, therapy sessions, group therapy sessions where we, you know, we learned that alcoholism is probably genetic. It's probably has some uh, chemical chemistry related brain issues and, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, that makes sense. So dad gets sober comes home he and i sit down and have a conversation one time and he goes so i heard you called the cops on me a few times and i'm like i did and he goes never do that again i'll give you a reason he's sober mm-hmm. and and it, and don't my relationship with my dad was much improved after his drinking i don't want people to hear that it wasn't but it was over at that point it's done dad never drank again the rest of his life he was 22 years sober when he was killed in the work accident 22 years sober. Never fell off the wagon one time. And after the first month of being out of treatment, he never went to another AA meeting. Ever. And uh, because, it, it, and this is how sharp he was, he realized it was just a bunch of drunks who given up alcohol to be addicted to one another's misery.
0: Yeah, that that has been reported to me before.
1: And, but here's what, didn't happen. There was no change in the home as far as. Huh. I wonder if the kids have been impacted by this.
0: Right. Right.
1: And. So my suicidal ideations. In, in, increased and grew. And then I got into my teen years. You know those formative teen years. Where you know every teenage guy and girl. At some point is like I'm going to kill myself. You know. But everything for me was every day was a constant like battle to be happy. And most of the time I just didn't want to be happy. So I just, I just decided I wanted to die and I cut a few times. Um, They're, they're faded now, but I don't know, probably can't see them, but I cut a few times. I even did it the right way. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I
0: can. I, I was wondering about that. It looks like they were going vertical and they are.
1: Yeah. Um, But then I tried to overdose on Tylenol and then got, and then I, I I told somebody and parents found out. And the only thing that were you lectured for that
0: when, when the parents found out or did they actually, were they compassionate?
1: It was like, well, why are you feeling that way? Why would you do that? And then i used try to use tylenol and i was like well that's not going to work and then i find out years later that tylenol is like the most effective way most of the time for most people oh i didn't know that um, why because it shuts yeah. down your liver i Seems something like about a ac- something about acetaminophen is it, it they it's if people decide to use it and they do it it's can be very fatal
0: Wow, I didn't as know opposed
1: that. to <laughs> as opposed to not quite as not, like like somewhat fatal I'm pretty sure that fatal is fatal, so I don't know why I said very fatal there. But
0: uh, <laughs> I was only a little pregnant, <laughs> super <laughs> <But> pregnant.
1: <laughs> the only thing that changed in the house after that was that my grandparents drove sixty miles to our house to come get the shotgun that my grandfather had given my grandpa, or that my grandpa had given my father as a as basically as a, a you know a gift because they didn't want to feel guilty. If I used the shotgun to kill myself, are
0: so, you are you sure, are you sure and, it wasn't and, to protect you? It was only to protect themselves from guilt. No, that's exactly how it was told to me. Oh my goodness! Wow, wow the the avoidance is strong in your family. Wow,
1: that's exactly how it was told to me. Now ask me how many how many counseling sessions I had. Zero. After that, none. Not yeah. one. And and I know it's it was the mid 80s, you know, but... Yeah,
0: I mean it's not like that doesn't still go on today. I mean there's there's kids who, you know, present in counseling here at the age of, you know, 16 or whatever, but it's only out of compulsion because the school counselor and the school administrator stepped in. Uh and, and then you get to talking to them and they're like, "Oh, I've been suicidal since I was 7." <laughs> You're like, "Oh, and your parents never nope. Not at all. Nope. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so it, it's it, there's there's still an aversion.
1: I'm sure someone in your audience, uh, and probably do you remember the movie Ordinary People? Uh, I
0: Mary never, Tyler I never saw it. I never saw it, but I know Donald
1: Sutherland, about. Mary Tyler Moore, um, yeah. one of the French brat brat pack kids. Um. Yeah. His brother and the. the The book is phenomenal, and I had suggested to Josh that we do a disaffected uh, movie night and and watch that together for people uh, because it's a different look at the mental health of a kid and family dynamics. And if you you haven't read the book or if you haven't seen the movie, uh, do one or both, preferably read the book first. But uh, in, the, in the book, the oldest son drowns in a boating accident, and the youngest son, I think it's Conrad, survives and becomes incredibly suicidal, ends up, uh, this is mid-80s, so it's not like it was unheard of, ends up in a psychiatric ward for kids. And it's, you know, it's not straight jackets and, you know, Yeah, it's not Renfro from Dracula, you know, Mm -hmm. like trying to eat flies and things like that. And he eventually comes home and what you realize through all of this is that mom's the problem. Hmm. Because he lived and his brother died. And it and so I, I look at that and I look there again, I even having because I had to read that book for a create, uh, for an English lit class and then creative writing project. And so I had to read the book and then for the, in the class, we watched the movie and I'm like, why does this, why is this, why does this bother me so much? Because there was something happening in that book that didn't happen that I, that I saw, he was getting help.
0: But why was mom and, the problem?
1: It's the dynamic in the book and in in the movie is so real. It's hard to explain that she just. She was closing her eyes to the reality of everything that was going on, and it was all about how it impacted her. Oh,
0: oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, so I was misinterpreting thinking that she was blaming the child for the death of his brother or whatever. But it was more like she she was turning it in on herself and becoming like a martyr, maybe.
1: Well, when I when I brought it up to Josh, he goes, "You know what? I completely forgot about that. That's a perfect example of the cluster B dynamic."
0: <laughs> mm, okay. Imagine mm. Josh
1: saying that. Yeah, but yeah, I might I um, might
0: have to watch it now.
1: But and Mary Tyler Moore did a phenomenal job in the role, like almost like
0: <laughs> like too good. Like
1: you're way too good at this, like lady. Heath Ledger
0: as the Joker, good.
1: <laughs> yeah, that. Y- yeah, yes. Um, but. What I realized in that was, and this was my takeaway, well, I haven't had anything like that in my life. So I guess I better pull my act together or get my act together because I've, I'm clearly a weakling.
0: Mm. Well, and that's part of the self-deprecation too, that you've learned over time. It's hard to change an internal voice, by the way. Um, It can be done. But if you're listening to this and you hear about things like self-talk, uh, Christian Conti, one of my very good friends and mentors, uh, I need to have him back on the show actually. He he talks a lot about self-talk. And um, it's the stories you tell yourself, the narrative that goes through your own head. Um, if you if you have a negative self-talk, the whole world will be bleak. If you change your internal narrative, um, things improve dramatically. And you know, I, I had to go through that my, myself. Uh and it took years, but, but I figured it out and, uh, people will, uh, people will treat you differently when you start treating yourself differently. That's for sure.
1: So it was, it just, it was one of those, like, that was kind of that watershed moment in the negative way where it was like, Oh, just tough it up.
0: Right. You just Bootstraps. Just,
1: yep. And just push it all down. And I think that's, you know, there again, it wasn't a conscientious decision. It was just, you know, kind of this realization and it was what I did. I just pushed it all down. I pushed it all down.
0: Yeah. Well, it's so some vocabulary for everybody, you too, if you don't know this, um, what you're doing is repressing. That's an unconscious mm-hmm. pushing down. Suppression is a conscious pushing down and suppression is healthy. Uh, that's another uh, couple of those coping strategies that I mentioned that were removed from the DSM. Repression is bad because you end up with the, the incident that you have where you get assaulted in the jail and then all of a sudden uh, like everything comes flooding back right? and you don't know what to do with it. And you're like, whoa, where was that this whole time? It's like, well, because you pushed it down because you had to. Right? It's survival or whatever, it's keeping up appearances. Suppression is a, an open acknowledgement of this thing that happened that you really don't like and it was really unpleasant. You just go, I'm not going to talk about that because I've, I've dealt with it. That's suppression. We like suppression. Suppression is leaving dead moments in the past where they belong. Repression is pretending they never happened.
1: Right. And you see, you see both of those aspects. So then I, you know, like my brother went into a law enforcement career right out of high school, and you know has been in it for over twenty years. And I went into a law enforcement related career field and was in it for almost you know almost thirteen years. And so I ended up in the military. And jumping on airplanes for a living in the 82nd Airborne Division, ended up in the military. Um, was fortunate enough to never actually legitimately deploy anywhere, but still had several incidents in the military, you know, to include a narrow, narrowly missing being uh, on the tarmac for one of the worst uh, peacetime accidents the 82nd Airborne's ever had, where 27... Soldiers were killed waiting to load on to planes for a training exercise. I was supposed to be there that wow. day. Um, it's called the Green Wrap incident. If anybody's wanting to look that up, it's a very, uh, it's a very, it's a very terrifying story. Narrowly missed that because I got called away for a more pressing duty that I had uh, that day, and saw all of the stuff going on around me, and had no idea what was going on until because it. Nobody's broadcasting stuff oh, on the radio wild. and the internet wasn't a thing at the time. And I'm looking at this going, and then I find out that I could have been one of those people that was there. So I nearly missed that. Then I go into later on in life, I go into another career field where you have, you experience both suppression and repression and you see things all the time doing what I'm doing, doing what I did that you just tamp them down, just tamp them down. Oh, this guy just tried to cut his wrist. Tamp it down. Your job is not to worry about the blood and all the gore. The job, your job is to go in there and now save his life, even though he was just trying to kill himself. You know, tr- cutting people yeah. down who are trying to hang themselves. All this stuff over and over, yeah. and over 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 again. And like you said, you suppress it, deal with it, and move on. But there's also aspects of that where the repression aspect of that was, I'm suicidal. Who's going to be there to cut me down? You know, in in those. In those moments, and you don't talk about it, like, right. you, and that's a no. career. It's a career field where you cannot, you cannot, you can never admit. So, as a guy, you never want to admit weakness. So I've had all these things happen. There again, my, I wasn't tortured as a child. It wasn't that. It wasn't this physical stuff. But I had all this other stuff going on. I had already started to develop these suicidal ideations at five or six. Go through my whole life battling all of that. At some point, I don't even think that, like, I should get treatment or therapy or anything because clearly it's all in my head. Yeah. I just need to, you know, I just need to tough it out and it'll be fine. <laughs> to then go into a career field where I'm seeing people who aren't dealing with it, and aren't dealing with it well, and now I'm helping them and no, and I'm not, I'm not getting any help. And at some point, when I'm finally, not finally, but when I'm doing what I know to be the right thing which is to stand up for people who are being oppressed and, and fight against tyranny and all of this. Now I'm under attack again, yeah. except now the difference is, is I have the downtime and I come across Josh's platform and everything just blows up for me last summer, just blows up. And I, I'm like, I'm not weak. I'm damaged.
0: Mm, that's such a great perspective. i I really appreciate how you said that. That's cool. I mean it Sorry, sucks. Getting... It sucks, but like yeah, it's it's way it's way kinder on yourself and way less judgmental to say it's not what's wrong with you, it's what happened to you.
1: Sorry. and the thing that hurts in all of that Jake is and for anybody who's listening or watching is how have I screwed up my own family through all of this what have I what kind of damage have I done hmm. and have I communicated those messages to my kids and then get told You screwed up your kids. (laughs) Not by myself, but have you thought that you might be the cause of X, Y, and Z in your own home? Hmm. And to be told, you know, well, so-and-so is leaving your house because of how you raised them. And it just... Yeah, it's, it's, this is why people, when you, when you, when you realize you need help at some point in your life, please go get it because, you know, you're, you're not going to weather the storm on your own. It, it's just, y- you're not, it's, it's, you have to, especially to the guys that are out there, you know, and this is for the, you know, anybody who listens, not just to Noggin Notes, but, you know, to Guns and Mental Health. Like, uh, strangely enough, both of your shows are about mental health issues. I don't know why that is.
0: Um, it has nothing to do with my career at all. I can tell you that.
1: Uh, but what it like? It is not a weakness to realize that you're you're damaged, and it is not a weakness to realize I don't have the strength to do this by myself. It the, the weakness is is realizing your damage and saying. I'm not going to address it. I'm not going to fix it. I'm not going to do anything to change it. I'm not going to do anything to take the, the, the agitation or, or the, the weapon, if you will, that's doing the damage or has done the damage away. You talk, you've talked about this a lot on guns and mental health with uh, people who realize like firearms saved a lot, have saved a lot of people's lives, especially cops and uh, military personnel, not just in the line of duty, but, when they're out and they're dealing with their mental health, they go out shooting and they're like, I feel better when I'm done. I feel like it's, it, I go and I enjoy it. I disconnect and I just do my thing. But you've always said, have a safety pan, plan in place. You know, it. it go ahead and, and take the firing pins out and, and give them to a neighbor that you trust or a friend that you trust until you get through this crisis. But don't think that just taking the gun away in and of itself because you have depression or or PTSD or CPTSD or whatever it is did that just removing the gun is going to fix it. It like, you might need that gun for your own mental health later on. Well, it's the same thing just because whatever it is that you need to do, do it. And don't think that you could tamp it down on your own and never get any help because you're just, you're gonna, even if you don't like actually become suicidal and take your own life, you are killing yourself in, in, in resisting and fighting those things, it will impact you in ways that you can't imagine because you think you just have to hide it. The more you hide it, the worse you're going to get, and the more likely you are to hurt other people.
0: You're dying on the inside is what you're doing. That's what, that's what happens. I mean, you know, it's, you, you, you keep up appearances. You say, everything's fine. Look at all these metrics by which I can say that things are good job income family, hobbies. But how are you on the inside? Are you rotting? You know, and if you're honest with yourself, you can make a pretty accurate assessment. If you're dishonest with yourself, it's going to get worse. So weakness is not a judgmental term. I mean, you can, you can take it that way and I'm not going to die on that hill. Sure. It's, you know, weak is bad. Okay, fine. But what we're really talking about is vulnerability the vulnerability to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I don't have it all figured out and I need some assistance from somebody who's not me, somebody who has a little different perspective and maybe that person's in your family. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your best friend. Maybe it's somebody three time zones away who you just met over Twitter. <laughs> um,
1: there's some, there's some weirdo on the East coast podcast.
0: <laughs> Vermont connects Nevada to Minnesota. Um, but but sometimes maybe it's a professional. Not today. I ninety shut down. Yo, oh, yeah, no, no ice storms for me. But you know, sometimes it's a professional, and and that's okay. Like I want to I want to teach people to. Well, I don't because I'm not a mechanic, but I'd like to teach people to fix their own cars as much as they could too. Um, but there's limits to the stuff you can do and the tools you can buy and the room you have in your garage. And sometimes you need to go to the professional mechanic. Uh, think of therapists as mechanics for your. For your soul, or your mind, or your psyche—we um, can do the same stuff, you know. But I, I expect to give you the tools to solve it on your own as well. And again, that's why we do podcasts and YouTube videos, uh, so they they stand out there in the interwebs in perpetuity, and people can access them whenever they want. I'm not ego threatened if I lose my job because people get healthy. I'd, I'd be perfectly fine with that. I got 16 more years to pay on the lease in Sparks. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, if we solve mental illness in the next 10. I'll happily do literally anything else to pay the rent for the final six. I don't care. I will turn this place into a coffee bar and you can send me all the coffee you want. Everybody will be happy and healthy. It'll be great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Jake, Jake got coffee from TC. So
0: yeah, it's good too. finished it.
1: He's, a, he's still awake. So
0: I am still awake. Uh, I appreciate you being vulnerable. I think that, I think this is a good spot to stop. We've been going for 90 minutes. Um, Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for opening up and sharing your story. I don't know if it's
1: what you wanted, but it's what you got. <laughs>
0: hey, that's all we do, man. <laughs> you know, somebody somewhere is going to hear this and go, "Oh, cool, me too." You know, that's you know, me me too. The Me Too movement was um was great. I honestly think. I really think the Me Too movement was was great. It's too bad it got hijacked by people who were narcissistically abusing it for their own purposes to take down, you know, people they didn't like. That was that was despicable. But I really want to see a return to that type of—I um, hate to use the word—but that's—it's—it's it's, it's accurate. The permission that it gave everybody to acknowledge their own pain. You know that one happened to be—you know—sexual abuse at the workplace, by and large, um, discrimination. Uh, but we can we can listen to, to interviews like yours and go, "Me too. I'm a dude, and I'm struggling. And if this dude who's also struggling acknowledged it." then maybe I can too. Maybe I can come forward and say I need help. And that's, I, I think that's why I take a, a certain personal pride in being able to teach emotional functioning. Um, if you haven't seen the emotional functioning series on the Zephyr Wellness site, you can do that You know, by like going to there and typing in any emotions in the video search bar. But um,
1: He gives you know, all this stuff away for free, folks, seriously. Yeah, so, I mean. It's I like did, he doesn't even want a job.
0: I I'm, <laughs> said it before, I'll say it again. Um, I'm blessed enough to have my salary generated by my employees so I can do things like this. You know, not everybody's as fortunate. Um, and I don't take that privilege lightly, but the, the idea is that, you know, as a dude talking about my feelings, maybe other dudes will look at it and be like, Oh, okay. I can talk about my feelings too. This is there, Here's a, here's a firearm zoning bearded guy who he, you know, talks about his feelings in front of a whiteboard. Um, and you're, you did the same thing today. So thank you for that. And I appreciate it. And I hope, I hope it helps other people heal. So tell everybody where they can find you.
1: Uh right now. Encased <laughs> in an ice cube. That's <laughs> yeah. it's it's warmed up though. What did I say when we started? It was negative, negative forty
0: ne- yeah, negative eleven chill of 44.
1: with a wind chill of forty four below. It is now nine with a wind chill of forty one below. So we've gotten a couple <laughs> degrees.
0: Time to strip down to your skibbies.
1: I did go outside yesterday and just a t-shirt and a pair of jeans to go start my vehicle for a while. Cause I'm Minnesotan. So yeah, that's right. Um, I did wear shoes. So, uh, no, you can, it, I've been repping the whole time, which was once again, not intentional. I was going to come in here and be completely non-podcast PC. And like I'm like, no the room is cold. I'm putting a beanie on. Um, you can find my YouTube channel at Minnesota black robe regiment. Um, I'm also on Rumble, Minnesota Black Robe Regiment. I'm on Twitter, at Robe Regiment. I love to interact with people no matter what it's about. Um, If you see this and you don't know who to talk to and you want to find a way to find somebody to talk to, you reach out to me, and I'm pretty sure that I can probably connect you to somebody who knows how to talk to people. Uh, And uh, if you just want to, if you want to know more about my story as far as what I went through with my career, uh, I I can give the link to, to Jake and... You can put it in the show notes. You know, uh, a, oh go ahead. No, go ahead, Jake. I was gonna say, it's you know
0: what we never covered is the uh, meaning behind Black Robe Regiment. It's not a it's not a bunch of judges, is it?
1: No, it's so funny. Every, I get two responses to that. Normally it's Executioners. Are you a judge? <laughs> and I'm like, No. And what's the Black Robe? And I'm like, yeah. And then the other one is is are you a Jesuit? <laughs> <laughs> I literally had a guy watching one of my early videos goes, you're a Jesuit. I could tell by the shirt you're wearing. And I'm like, I'm so far from, I'm literally uh, from the theological and spiritual perspective. I'm literally the reason why the Jesuits were created, <laughs> <laughs> but no, the, the, the history of the, the black robe regiment goes back to uh, prior to 1776, the, the first great awakening that, uh, happened under the preaching of guys like George Woodfield and uh, Jonathan Edwards, who, by the way, was a founder of Princeton. <laughs> not that you would know it anymore, but uh, the the preaching of, of those those two uh, those two men sparked the 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 Great Awakening in colonial America, and that led to uh, a lot of preachers and pastors from just Lutherans and, and Presbyterians and Baptists and whatnot who preached against the tyranny of King George and really kind of sparked the American war for, it wasn't a revolution by the way, they're two totally different things uh, who sparked the American war for independence, not because they wanted to break free from great Britain, but because they knew they recognized that they were being oppressed by a megalomaniacal, Tyrant.
0: Hmm. That doesn't happen anymore.
1: That never happens.
0: I was told that doesn't happen anymore because we live in a democratic republic and we vote for our people and it can't possibly occur. There are no tyrants and anymore. I know we
1: could just get people to stop saying democratic republic and say constitutional <laughs> republic, that'd be nice. Um, but so it was men like, uh, Muhlenberg who my coffee roast is named after, um, uh, who, Went into their pulpits and preached, and in fact, in, in several cases, but especially Muhlenberg's, he he was preaching from Ecclesiastes, and he said, for every time there is a you know there's a season for everything, there's a time for peace and a time for war. And when he said, and there is now a time for war, he stepped out from behind his pulpit and dropped his his black robe, and he was wearing the uniform of a commissioned colonial officer, and had his sword and his musket. Right there and he walked out and he led in like like 30 minutes over 100 men uh, from his church all enlisted into the colonial army and followed followed him into battle and the black robe regiment kind of became this. Uh, thing that was almost euphemistically referred to by the, the British. The British said, Oh, it's that damned Black Robe Regiment. And King George used to refer to the American War for Independence as that damn Presbyterian War. Hmm. Because it was they did they did not want to attack they did not like the, the English regulars did not like fighting the the units that were manned by these very religious, very, very faithful Christian men, not just the the commanders and the pastors and whatnot that became officers, but just any of them because they were fiercely loyal to the cause, but they were also fiercely humane. And in a way that the English didn't understand, like the English wouldn't kill officers unless they were in the middle of hot combat. But if they captured them, they would not, they would do, you know, officer exchanges and prisoner exchanges and things like that and but the the colonial army for the you know especially those that were manned by these men who enlisted under the guidance of their pastors and their preachers treated captured british soldiers differently and it it really kind of i think set set the course for the war and ultimately is why they succeeded was because they fought humanely, but they fought with tenacity. Mm -hmm. They were dying for a cause and, and they were willing, willing to do it. And so I'm like, Hmm, tyranny. How did our Republic start? Huh? And that's been, I fail at it. I, you know, my, my Christian walk is, uh, tenuous uh, on some days, um, non-existent (laughs) on other days. And, uh, and sometimes my language does not always reflect that, but you and me both. Uh, it Sometimes you need hard words for things. And, you know, I'm an old soldier. I went you know, not a career guy. I'm an old soldier. I was in law enforcement, that law enforcement world. Sometimes there's just some words that just describe some things better. Okay. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I use them sometimes when I shouldn't, but uh, that's what it's about. So yeah, that's, I, I, and 98% of what I do on my channel is to talk about tyranny and despotism and, and I had Josh on to talk about the tyranny of that, that cluster B world. And if you guys don't there again, go check out disaffected. I'm not saying don't check out Jake's shows, check out both of Jake's shows, but if you really want to understand the tyranny of that cluster B world, you'll start to see it. And it's Mm -hmm. not, we we've joked, Jake and I've joked about it and Josh and I have joked about it when we've talked like, you do run the risk of, you know, being a McCarthyite and seeing a communist mm-hmm. behind every blade of grass. Well, once you become aware of what cluster B is, is you're going to have to kind of go through this cage stage of cluster B awareness where every single thing that happens to you is like, that person's cluster B. Yeah, yeah. Like, No, they're just a jerk. They're yeah. just a jerk. But you do become aware and you can actually start to see this behavior in in some people. And, and the thing is, and Jake, I'm sure you can back me up on this, we have normalized these people. We've cuddled them.
0: We've excused it.
1: We've excused it, and in some cases, we've
0: celebrated it. You Mm -hmm. know, think about some of the narcissistic presentations we see on TikTok videos about people's own, you know, bizarre delusions and illnesses. It's like that's that should not be celebrated. It's right. It's I mean, it should should not be celebrated. Um, It it absolutely diminishes what I do as a professional if we do that. Because it, because then we get affirming care where it's like, you know, that's great to have people validate your experience. We should be doing that, but affirming their illness is very, very, very dangerous. It just totally and what a- totally takes away why why my profession would exist at all. If I can't solve something because you've decided that's your identity, what why am I here? Why are you in my office?
1: I one of the things that i I want people to understand is is that when you're dealing with a genuine cluster b person and i have no no fear of you correcting me on this when you're dealing with a a genuine cluster b individual especially a narcissist or a borderline personality person i can't say too much about the, the people who are you know sociopaths or psychopaths or whatever but they don't care they, they do not care. They have no interest at all in getting better, even though they, on a level, and, and every one of them does know this, on a level, they know that what they're doing is wrong. They know it. They just don't care because it's all about them. And if you confront them and you don't have the information and you don't have the, the knowledge to confront them and do it in a way where you're not screaming at them right. and yelling at non, them
0: you have to be non-attached it, you
1: have to be non-attached when you have the confrontation if you just go around going yeah, you're cluster b your cluster b your cluster b your cluster b you're not going to get anywhere mm-hmm. but the tools to have them on board whether it's a wife a husband a child a, a parent you know a sibling I, like, you need the tools for your own mental health That's
0: right that's right because you are
1: never going to fix them Ever. You cannot, you cannot, Jake might disagree with you on this part. You can't fix them. You cannot fix them. You could protect yourself and you could protect your family members. That's the best you can do.
0: That's right. I I don't, I don't disagree. Um, That uh, Josh and I go back and forth on this. Um, We've pretty much resolved it now. Um, I've, I've realized that well into adulthood, you're not fixing that uh, personality disorder. Uh, unless they have a level of insight and awareness that they show up in the office and then, uh, I, there's a possibility and he's relented on that. He says that never, ever. And I said, no, 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 I've, I've helped people. He goes, okay, okay. And so we've both moved off of our little positions because I, I used to say, look, it, and I say this at the opening of guns and mental health podcast, right? Mental illness can and can be cured. You know, it can be overcome. We just have to inspire people to believe that, right? So I believe in the, the perpetual existence of hope. I don't want to take hope away from people, comma. But uh, if you're not aware that you have an issue and cannot be brought to awareness because you double down on your own denial and then triple down and then quadruple down, then gaslight change. the
1: people pointing it out
0: yeah 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 then it's not going to change so that's the type of awareness that Josh is trying to bring about and that's what you're pointing out here which is you know do the best you can to protect yourself not solve their issues that don't they don't think need solving or, or are even in, in existence so, well alright thanks man uh, we're going to sign off and as always we wish you all great mental wellness